0: Good morning, Church. Good morning. Welcome to week 10 of the Biblical Theology of Grief. Uh, this morning, as if you've picked up a handout, you'll see that week 10 is grief redirected, ministering to others in their grief. Before we get started this morning, let's go before the Lord, ask his blessing upon our time together. Oh gracious God, we thank you for opportunity once again to gather as your people. be ministered to by your word. God, we thank you for your spirit to teach us. We thank you for your presence to comfort us. God, we thank you for the work that you have done and are doing in the midst of our grief. God, we thank you for the time we have spent to study what your word has to say about this topic. God, as we turn our attention now to beyond the ministry of our own soul, but to the ministry of others. God, would you help us to be mindful of those around us? Would you help us to sacrifice of our time, of our energy, of our own comfort, and to give to those around us for their good, for your glory? We pray you would teach us now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It has been an absolute joy to spend the last nine weeks, today being the 10th week, but going through the biblical theology of grief. And I trust the Lord has ministered to your soul because he has surely ministered to my soul as we have spent this time together. And I hope it has been time that was well invested, that you found it fruitful in your own life. Uh, And as we've spent nine weeks looking at the biblical theology of grief, and today on the 10th week, we're kind of flipping that around going, okay, all that we have learned, how do we now turn that around to help others? Because we're not in this alone. When God calls us to faith, he calls us to community, which means he calls us together with one another like what Mark Dever said. Mark Dever said this. He said, churches don't need programs so much as they need cultures of discipling, cultures where each member prioritizes the spiritual health of others. End quote. Cultures where the members prioritize the spiritual health of one another. You now sometimes we can get into a rut where we just think this is just for me, and it's for me to feed on and, and for me to feel better. And for me to glean all this information, but God grants us all this not only for our good, but for the good of others. And so we're to turn around and to to minister to others. And so Dever speaks of this this culture where that's a priority, and that should be our priority as well, of how do I care for those around me? How do I care for those who God has put in my sphere of influence, and even those outside of that sphere of influence, that I would have a compassion on those who are grieving. It is common in, in many minds of many members to think, well, caring for others is really the job of the leaders of the church. That, that's their duty. It's their duty to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And part of the ministry is caring for one another. And so part of what we've learned over these past nine weeks, and what we'll go into today, is that really not only caring for our own soul, but caring for one another's souls. How do we bring comfort to one another? If you have a handout, you'll see there's three points on there. But before we get into those three points this morning, we need to consider two things. One I've mentioned briefly, but it's this. Grief is fundamentally a corporate thing. Grief is fundamentally a corporate thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. We read, if one member suffers all suffer together it's amazing the way that paul describes believers together as a body i want you to think about your physical body when you stub your toe you know it through your whole body as you start limping on that toe off that toe everything gets affected when one part of the body is affected the same is true when one of us suffer All of us suffer. So we have to keep in mind that suffering is a corporate thing. The second thing to keep in mind as we go into this this morning is that we are equipped to comfort others. So I know one of the main reasons why I feel like I don't have to serve others in different areas is because I say, well, I just don't feel equipped. I don't feel like I'm prepared for it. And I use that as an excuse not to do it. But we have been equipped to comfort others. If you would, open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians, the opening chapter. As you turn there, you'll see that we are equipped to be ministers one to another. 2 Corinthians, opening up in chapter 1, starting in verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, how many times have you read that? And just kept moving along. Just kept reading on to the next verse and not stopped and considered what does that mean? What does it mean that God is a God of comfort who has comforted us in all our afflictions? Everything that you have been through, God has been with you. Everything that you have been through, God has sustained you through. All that you have been through, God has been your comfort. And because God has always been there and always been your comfort, he now extends that same comfort through you to others. But it's interesting the way that Paul writes this. He says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Now, that's important. Because there are times that we excuse ourselves from ministering to others because we say, well, I don't share that same type of suffering. I haven't gone through what they're going through, so I don't know how to minister to them in their trial or in their suffering. Notice it's the comfort that God gave us, that comforted us, that is to be applied to every situation. That we're not to excuse it, saying, well, I don't know what it's like not to X, Y, or Z. But I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to grieve. And I know what it's like to receive God's comfort. And so now God has called me to go and to comfort others as well. And so keeping those two things in mind, one, grief is fundamentally a corporate thing. And two, we are equipped to comfort others. If you look at your outline, you'll see there are three points this morning that we're going to dig into as we talk about ministering to others in their grief. You'll see the first one is the ministry of presence then the ministry of prayer, and the ministry of proclamation. Those are intentionally in that order. They're not mixed up differently. They are intentionally with the ministry of presence first. There is something, or there is a way that God has designed us where there is a special blessing when we are together in person, where God imparts a spiritual blessing. Uh, something different that when we're in person that does not take place when we are afar. I want to give you some examples from Scripture when Paul writes about being with others or sending people to others, the spiritual blessing that is imparted. I'll refer to them. If you want to jot down notes, you can refer to them later. But in Romans, opening chapter of Romans, chapter 1, Paul the Apostle, in verses 11 and 12, says this. He says, For I long... To see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, I want you to stop and think about this. Paul the Apostle is writing them a letter. The letter itself is encouragement, but he's communicated there's something special about being together, there's something different about being in the same place with somebody. We know what that's like recently going through COVID, where we had to break up as a church at some point and, and be afar at some point. That was not like gathering as a local body. There were spiritual blessings that were stripped from that because God's created us to be together. We read this again in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, speaking of Tychicus. Paul writes Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we're doing and that he may encourage your hearts. I have sent him to you. The letter wasn't enough. There had to be physical presence. I'll give one more example in 1 Thessalonians to to believers in Thessalonica. In chapter 3, verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 3:2, Paul writes, We sent Timothy to establish and exhort you in your faith. We see these examples throughout the New Testament of this spiritual blessing that comes of being together, to being in person. And so, though there were letters being sent, it was quite different than being in person. And I want you to put it in our modern context. I could this quickly send a text message, right? And that text message can bring encouragement to somebody. But what we see in the biblical model is there's something different about the physical presence of being together with the saints. I also want you to know what costs more. It's a lot easier on my time to send a text message than it is to go physically be with somebody. But no, our first ministry is the ministry of presence. It's to be with those who are grieving. And it begins with compassion. I want you to stop and think about that. The ministry of presence begins with compassion. You'll know how much compassion you have for that individual by how willing you are to go and spend time with them. You have compassion on them, you'll go and spend time. We know that in Romans 12:15 that we are to weep with those who weep. I, I gotta tell you, one of my shortcomings, and my wife will tell you the same, is I like to just fix problems. I don't want to just sit quietly and wait around. I, I want to get quickly and, and let's fix it. To weep. With those who are weeping means you're not trying to fix anything. It means you are demonstrating compassion to those who are grieving. That goes against everything in my flesh. I just want to solve the problem. But the ministry of presence is about compassion. It's about investing in that other person. It means fighting the temptation to just try to fix the problem. As a matter of fact, it means trying not to focus on the problem at all, but focus on the individual. Do you know how we can get carried away and trying to fix the problem and forget about the person in front of us? Forget about the person we're actually trying to show compassion to as we pay more attention to the problem? Compassion is simply having a genuine concern for the suffering that the person is going through. It's about the person, not the problem. If you're going to jot anything down in your notes, put that. It's about the person, not the problem. That's compassion. We're not trying to diagnose and and resolve their suffering. We're not trying to flip over every rock and try to figure things out. We're demonstrating compassion and love for the person who is suffering. Now, often when we talk about someone who suffers, we often think of Job going through extreme suffering. And when we think of bad counsel, we often think of Job's friends. But do you know Job's friends actually started off on a very good note? You could turn there in Job chapter 2, you could see that they've actually started off on a very good uh, start with Job. Job chapter 2, verse 13. I hear some of you turn and I'll give you a minute to find Job. Job 2, 13. Speaking of Job's friends who know of all the tragedy he has gone through, we read in Job 2.13 that they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. What did they do at first? The ministry of presence. They went to be with him. They went to show genuine concern that he was suffering. Do you know when the trouble happened between Job's friends and Job? It's when they opened their mouth. How many of us know when that happens? Everything is good until we open our mouth and go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. They just sat, they waited. But when they opened their mouths and they tried to figure out why this is the case and what is going on, man, did the counsel become really bad. And it was not helpful to Job in his suffering. Here's a proverb for you this morning, Proverbs 10:19. Proverbs 10:19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent what does that mean it means if we are quick to just open our mouth and let words fly out that somewhere in there sin will come out But in order to restrain our lips and as we go through this morning we'll see we are to ask God for wisdom of what to speak and not just start speaking freely because when we speak freely out of a good intention bad things happen let me give you an example. Well intentioned people will go to somebody in their suffering and tell them, You must feel so terrible. Think about that statement while you're suffering. Or they'll say something like, I don't know how you do it. I wouldn't be able to endure the suffering you're going through. Or something like this what you're going through is just not fair. I want you to think about those statements. How would those statements impact somebody who's going through suffering? Will it bring comfort to them? Or will it bring more grief? And yet, these are the very things that we do. We naturally go to those things because that's the way we feel. Is oh man, that's terrible. Oh, I don't know how you do it. Oh, that just doesn't seem fair. But that's not ministering to them. It's heaping more grief upon them. It's putting their attention back upon the pain and the sorrow instead of where we need to help them is putting it back on God. But these are the statements that naturally come out of us. We say things like to somebody who we know is suffering. We ask them, how are you doing? Don't we know that answer already? Imagine coming into a church and people know you're going through deep grief And every person in that church is going to ask you, how are you doing? Are you going to walk out of there encouraged and strengthened in the Lord? are you going to be completely depleted? Because over and over again, you had to tell people, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. So the ministry of presence is just that, being there. The problem we have is we always think we need to say something. We don't like awkward silence. So we say, and then typically we say something stupid. Something that is not helpful. Something we wish we can grab and take back, but we can't. And so it's being prepared for those times of when I'm in their presence, I don't have to say anything. And as you've seen on your handout, there are a couple other areas of ministry that there are things we can do while we're together. We must be very careful. Words do matter though. Words do have an effect on people. We read in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24. Proverbs 16, 24, that gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 16:24. Words have an effect on people. Words can encourage the soul. They can bring health to the body. We know from Ephesians, as we read through the put-offs and put-ons in chapter 4, that our words should be those that impart grace to those who hear. We read that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. That we say things that are fitting for the occasion, that are meant to build the person up. And so this ministry that we have one to another For us, going to someone in their grief is we're dependent upon the Lord. Lord, help me. Lord, help me from saying something that I ought not to say. Help me from bearing more burden upon them rather than comforting them in their grief. But here's what I want you to be aware of. Do not let the idea of, I might say something dumb, paralyze you from not ministering to somebody else. Because there are other points to this ministry. Primarily, it is presence to be there but you'll see number two is the ministry of prayer the ministry of prayer you know the as i said my my temptation and i know many of us share the same temptation is to fix the problem and so the temptation for prayer is to pray to fix the problem and if it's not that temptation it's to pray for immediate relief And so as a church, we even share a prayer chain of email that goes around, and we get to pray for one another. And oftentimes, we see that it might be a physical ailment, and what do we immediately think of? Healing. Fix it. That's our immediate response. Always fix it. So how should we pray for one another? How should we, not only when it comes to grief, but also when that prayer chain comes along, how should we be ministering to one another when it comes to prayer? Because oftentimes, prayer focuses back upon the problem and not upon the person, and especially not upon the person of Christ. Our prayers need to bring people's eyes higher than their present problem. I want you to think about this. When I I pray for somebody, or when you pray for somebody, when you leave them, where's their attention? Meaning this, what have I focused that prayer on? Did I focus it on their problems, so when I leave them, they're still focused on their problems? Or was it focused on Christ? And so when I leave them, their focus is on Christ. Because we get a lot of examples of prayer in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle gives us several examples of prayer, and I'm going to have you turn there, and I want you to dig in. This is now the interactive Sunday school class where you get to participate, and so I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter one as we learn how do we pray for one another. This applies to those who are in grief. How do I pray when I don't know what to say to somebody? I don't want to say something wrong. I don't want them to grieve more. How do I pray? Well, let's look at some biblical examples of prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17, we'll pick up in this prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 17. Paul says he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. I ask you, church, this morning, when you look at that prayer, what's the focus of the prayer? It's God's goodness, it's his greatness, it's his glory, it's his faithfulness. And the prayer for the individual is that they would know that more. That they would have greater knowledge of him. That they would have wisdom from him. That they would know the riches that they have in Christ. So as we pray and minister to one another and we pray like that, As we leave them, we leave that resonating in their minds. Christ and his goodness. Christ and his riches. Why don't you look in there again. What else do we see in that prayer? What do you see in the prayer? Hope. I hear hope. They would know the hope. What else? The what part? Yes. How about having the eyes of your hearts enlightened? That God would open our eyes beyond our present circumstances to his goodness and his glory. Each one of us have gone through grief in this room. We know what suffering is like. And we know that when we are suffering, our eyes are dialed into that suffering. And oh, what a ministry to us to help us lift our eyes beyond that suffering, back to the one who is faithful, back to the one who is good, back to the one who is in control of all things. Flip over a couple pages to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, let's jump in at verse 16. Ephesians 3, 16. Paul prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The direction of the prayer is to lift the believer's eyes to the Lord, to the goodness of God, that they might know him, that they might be strengthened in him, that they might be strengthened in his might. You know, even in our ministry of presence, we can't impart strength to them. But what we can impart is brotherhood or sisterhood that would bring them back to Christ. That would strengthen them in the Lord. And so it's directing them back to the Lord, even as we pray for them, that the focus of our prayer would be that they'd be strengthened in Christ, that they would know him, that they would draw near to him, that they would be comforted in him. Let's turn to one more example, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we'll jump in at verse 9 of this prayer. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, It's always that the believer would draw near to the Lord, that the believer would know the Lord more. Now, I will tell you, in this prayer in Colossians, if you go and you just recite this entire prayer, it might sting if someone has just heard some tragic news and is in immediate grief. But there are definitely parts of it that could minister to them greatly. Verse 11, You would pray they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Isn't that what they need? Isn't that what we need when we're going through grief? That we would pray for one another in that fashion? So as we go through these three examples and I hope you took them down Ephesians 1:17 through 19, Ephesians 3:16 through 19, Colossians 1:9 9 through 11. And there are other prayers you could find as well in the Bible, but these three examples that you would take these as homework. And just look at little phrases in there that you could pick out, that you could start praying that way. That you could pray accordingly, that it would lift people's eyes towards Christ, that it would encourage them in the Lord. Because our natural tendency, as I said, is to focus on the problem, to focus on the pain. And when we leave that person, they are focusing more on that pain. Instead, leave them focused on the Lord and trust God to strengthen them to encourage them, and to comfort them. And so we have the ministry of presence, being together, sacrificing time, and going and being with that person, weeping with those who weep. We also have the ministry of prayer, and that ministry of prayer is to focus on God, to focus on our Lord Jesus, that that person would be strengthened in Christ, that it would be comforted by the God of all comfort. The attention, the focus would be on him. But I said earlier that words do matter. So it does matter that we do say something, that we don't just stay for a month in silence. But words are spoken, but what do we speak? And so part three this morning is the ministry of proclamation. I want to share a, a proverb with you this morning, another proverb, Proverbs 1225. Proverbs 12:25 says this anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down but a good word makes him glad so words do matter words can lift a countenance but i started off this morning saying that we often can say words that are foolish words that are not helpful words that focus them on their misery and their suffering So what words do we use? What words are profitable? What will help somebody in their grief? A verse you all know very well, Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things you ever stop to think about Philippians 4 8 and what Philippians 4 8 is describing Christ and his word Philippians 4 8 is a description of Christ and his word so when we are to think of things when we are to speak of things it would be Christ and his word it would be the ministry of proclamation That is to bring comfort to those who are grieving. And it's to bring comfort by giving God's promises and reminding them of God's goodness through His Word. I have shared from this pulpit as we've gone through this series that I I don't endure pain very well. I don't like pain. And I know some of you probably don't like pain either. It's not the first thing we sign up for is pain. And when I experience pain, my mind immediately goes to The pain. It does not. I don't wake up in the morning and float around and have little wings that just carry me through the house and everything is angelic and perfect. My mind goes straight to the pain and I want out. And I want out quickly. And so when I'm in pain and I'm suffering, just like when you're in pain and you're suffering, I need to be reminded about the goodness of God. I need to be reminded about the greatness of God because in my current condition, I don't feel it. My emotions are telling me something different. And so I need to be reminded that God is good and God is great and God is present in the midst of my suffering. So, what is the ministry of proclamation? What do I tell somebody? Or what do we read to somebody who is in the middle of deep grief? Well, first, I would say we need to pray and ask the Lord. Ask the Lord for wisdom. If you hear of news of a tragedy in a, in a friend's life and you say, I'll be right over, and as you're driving there, beg and plead to the Lord to grant you wisdom and patience as you go, to give you compassion while you go and have the ministry of presence, that you'd have genuine compassion. But if you go and you're absolutely drawing a blank of, where do I open up the Scriptures? I have a suggestion? But it doesn't mean that's where the Lord's going to prompt you. He, There's a whole book here. There's a whole lot of good counsel here. But in grief, the psalm seemed to minister in a special way. And so somebody, you don't even know what to say. I I don't even know where to begin. I I don't know what to express. And I don't want to say something stupid, which comes from the Greek, which means unprofitable. No, it doesn't. Um, I don't want to say something's going to hurt them more. So what do I do? I would recommend opening up Psalms to Psalm 120. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 are the, the songs of ascent. And the themes of those help people lift their eyes back to the Lord. And it's just enough reading to go from Psalm 120 to 134, where it takes up a good span of time, but not too much time. It's where the person still has time to, to consider everything. And so turn with me to, to Psalm one twenty. I just want to flip through these songs of ascent as I throw them out there as potentially a place where you might want to, to start in, in reading to somebody as they grieve. I would also recommend reading through these without commenting on them. Just like God's word minister. Well, let God do the ministry. You're just the messenger. And so if you look at some of the titles given to these psalms, look at Starting in 120, we see the title written there, Deliver me, O Lord. If you look at 121, my help comes from the Lord. 122, let us go to the house of the Lord. 123, our eyes look to the Lord, our God. 124, our help is in the name of the Lord. 125, the Lord surrounds his people. 126, restore our fortunes, O Lord. 127, unless the Lord builds the house. 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. 129, they have afflicted me from my youth. 130, my soul waits for the Lord. 131, I have calmed and quieted my soul. 132, the Lord has chosen Zion. 133, when brothers dwell in unity. And 134, come bless the Lord. You'll see the themes of these Psalms put the eyes back on the Lord. I mean, just looking at a couple of them, the whole theme of Psalm 120 is about God's presence during distress. Isn't that so fitting as someone is grieving? Psalm 124, the focus of that is that help comes from the Lord. In Psalm 129, it is a cry to the Lord for help, reminding the afflicted there to turn to God for help. And Psalm 132 is God's sovereign plan for his people. Psalms are a great place to turn. I would also encourage you as I look out and I see many familiar faces week after week that have been coming to Sunday school that if you have been taking notes for the past nine weeks, you have a treasure trove of scriptures to be able to share with people in their grief. So if you go back and you just go through, all of those were specific on the topic of biblical theology of grief. And you have all of these scriptures now that you can share with others. But pray for wisdom of what to share. And listen, of when to share. Timing matters when we're ministering to those in their grief. That's why it starts with just presence. Just being there. Showing genuine love and a genuine concern. And genuine support. But then praying When do I say something? When do I share? What is the timing of that? I've dug in several Proverbs this morning as we look for wisdom in these things. Here's another one for you. Proverbs 27, 14. Proverbs 27, 14. We read this. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Now, I'll say it again, because you got to figure out what's being said here. Whoever blesses his neighbor, the intention is to bless your neighbor. With a loud voice, rising early in the morning, will be counted as cursing. What was wrong with the, the, the approach of this blessing? Timing. The timing was wrong. The intent was, well, I want to bless. But the timing is Terrible. And so we must ask the Lord for wisdom, for timing. We've mentioned it in earlier weeks, but when we talk about the sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God can bring great hope and great comfort to the believer's soul. But it could also be a great sting if the timing is wrong. And so though that is truth, that God is in control of all things, And that he works together for good, all things, for those who love him. and are called according to his purposes. The timing of delivering that message matters. Because sometimes it turns out it's real, I really don't care about the individual. I just want to give them the answers. Here are the answers. Let me just tell you the truths of the Bible. Instead of ministering to that person's soul... Timing matters of when we deliver these things. If you remember back to the first week when we started this, I said we're going to sing a song at the end of every session and I know this song is going to sting at the first sessions. I just heard a sister come in today that says she wakes up in the morning and that song is on her heart as she begins the day. But timing matters. Timing matters. And so when someone's in the just hearing of tragic news, be gentle with your theology. Remind them of God's goodness, but be gentle in banging the Bible over their head and saying, you should just suck it up and know God is good. Be compassionate and know that they are grieving. And know there are times that people grieve and what they want from you is they want answers. Can you tell me why? Why is God allowing this to happen? Be so careful what you say at that time. That's where Job's friends got in trouble. They came up with all kinds of things of what's going on. The only answer you have is to give them God's word. Just read his word with them. You don't have the answer, and God doesn't always give us the answer. So be careful in the counsel you give them. Don't give them, here, write this down. Don't give my opinion. (laughs) Write it down. Your opinion is not going to be helpful. Give them God's word. As I said, if you have nowhere else to go, turn to the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Maybe if you're spending extended time with them, turn to a gospel and read through a gospel. Let their mind be focused upon Christ. and Be prepared as they're going through suffering to also point them to the sufferings of Christ. We spent a whole week on that, looking just at the sufferings of Christ. The idea here is to remind them of God's promises, that he is near, that he'll never leave them nor forsake them. And now we have the opportunity to go and be those used by God to go and partake of other people's sufferings, to go in and to weep with them, to bear their burdens, to encourage them. And yet it costs you something. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you your own happiness because you're going to weep with them. But this is the calling of the Christian, is to come alongside one another and minister to one another for their good and for the glory of God. Again, that starts with presence. Go to them. Be with them. Sacrifice time. Go with them and pray and focus that prayer upon Christ. Focus that on them being strengthened in the Lord and then proclaim the truths of God's word. Comfort them with God's word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we sit here and we listen of the calling to go and to minister to others, I know some of us wrestle with, maybe I'd rather be the one suffering than having to go to comfort those in their suffering. I know there's often the time where we feel not adequate. I'm not capable. I, I I don't know how to comfort somebody. Maybe be reminded that your grace is sufficient. That Christ is sufficient. That His Word is sufficient. That we don't have to veer from that. Father, maybe be mindful that Your Word tells us that when we ask of You things according to Your will, that You will give them to us. So as we go to minister to our brother or our sister, and we ask of you for wisdom, that you will grant us wisdom. That when we ask of you to give us genuine compassion for them and patience toward them, that you will grant grant us that. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be active in ministering to one another, that we would not hold on to any excuses of, of why we don't go. Father, help us to fight against the temptation of our modern-day technology of just sending a quick text or even a phone call, but to know that the ministry of presence, that there are spiritual blessings imparted when we are together in the same place. Father, I thank you for the work that you've done in my own heart and my soul through the, the study of the biblical theology of grief, and I trust that you've done that in the lives of the saints here. God, we pray that you would continue to use it for our good and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.